Hey, welcome to the No Decaf Podcast with your host and tech startup owner, Adam Araujo. No Decaf is about the journey that non-technical and technical founders face, the issues that they encounter along the way, and how to avoid or fix them. So go grab some No Decaf and welcome to the show. All right, we're live. Hello, everyone. This is whether you're streaming in uh, live on Facebook or YouTube or you're coming to us on the recorded version on all the podcast platforms. Welcome. This is No Decaf Podcast. My name is Adam. We have Joe, and he is the owner and CEO of Unleash Marketing. So, Joe, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, Adam. Yeah. So, so today, you know, we're going to talk about how you were able to fire yourself from, from your SaaS company. But before we get into that, because that's a really interesting topic to talk about. A lot of people think, oh, I'm going to work in my own business. And then, you know, the business ends up working you, you know, working more than, than, sure. you know, obviously having your own or uh, not having your own, but, um, you know, working for another person. So, uh, but, but before we get started in that, I'm curious, what does Unleash Marketing do? Sure. So we're a marketing agency, Adam. Uh, we kind of focus at this point exclusively in the medical space. So okay. We have website design, landing pages, uh, Google ads, social media management, uh, PR for medical practices, doctor's offices, and departments of hospitals. Uh, so that's just really what we do. Okay. And and I know we were talking a little bit about, you know, kind of some software that you built, because obviously this is like a SaaS, um, you know, kind of theme podcast. Tell us a little bit about like the SaaS platform that you've built for these, for these people, or these, sure. these, you know, medical professionals. Sure. So, you know, one of the problems that we have, Adam, we talked is that a lot of times medical practice owners or clients, whatever space you're in, doesn't have to be a doctor's office, whoever the client is, um, they'll get great results from a marketing campaign, but they really, in most cases, lack an ability to track what happens after an online conversion, right? How does that lead or conversion then interact with their business in the real world. And so one of the things we've built is a back-end portal that allows our clients to not only see the results from their marketing campaigns in real time, but also to see what's happened once somebody converts. Did their front desk reach out to them? When did they reach out? Did they get a voicemail, send a text message? Did the patient come into the office? Um, and by using some of that technology, along with things like conversion pixels, we can actually reverse engineer not only uh, what ads or what keywords produce the most number of leads or patients or customers in whatever your space might be, uh, but actually the most revenue because some of those those patients or in some people's cases, prospects didn't buy from you. They no-showed. They didn't have a quote done or a, a proposal done or whatever your case sure. may be. So, um, you know, we'll have, we've had a lot of occurrences over the years where clients say, hey, you know, these ads aren't working. And we'll say, well, that's kind of unbelievable because we found that just this month, 60 patients requested appointments from our marketing campaigns. And I, well, I didn't see any in the office. Okay, well, we need to have some transparency to drill down. Is there a crack in the system that they're not getting reached out to? Or are they, you know, what's happening here? Um, so to answer your question, SaaS-wise, we built a back-end platform that creates visibility and transparency over all those things. And just a brand new product that we just launched is for dental offices to be able to verify dental insurance coverage instantly in real time online. Yeah. Um, where now they're making phone calls and waiting on hold for a half hour to find out if Adam has dental insurance today. 
before you can get your tooth pulled. And, and we created a way to do that online instantly. Yeah, that, that's that's huge, uh, especially the insurance verification part. People spend, you know, a lot of their day doing that. And, and it's interesting, too. Like, how did you how did you get your start in this? As far as like the medical side, what was like your thought process? And you were like, oh, someone needs this. Sure. Um, so I, uh, I was not really a college guy. I did two years of community college. I thought I wanted to be a cop. And while I was doing that, I was working at a, a company that did consumer marketing part-time just to pay for school. And I just felt that I could do this better than, than these guys are doing this and they're the company, right? So right, right. Um, I decided I was not going to pursue college beyond that. I opened an office. Uh, I was actually 17 when I signed the lease. They didn't know that. They thought I was 18. Um, and I hired a couple of employees and, and we just started. That was 2004. Um, and then ever since then, it's just been, you know, they would think I had these couple of employees. They would think I was going to meetings with clients, but really I was going to work. So I would work in my office from 7 a.m. until noon. They thought I was leaving to go to meetings, but from 1230 to nine, I worked at this other company to pay the bills and their payroll in the beginning. Um, so it's kind of crazy, but that was my, my beginning. Uh, in the middle, I did some consulting work in corporate America, so I, I got some kind of boardroom experience, which was great. Um, and that's kind of how I got my start in, in marketing. And how we got into medical was actually kind of a lesson uh, that I learned in 2008. So you know, I'm old enough that I was still running a business when the 2008 recession happened. And one of the lessons that I learned that's actually um, proven itself true, I think, again now and more so to come, is that the first thing to get cut is discretionary spending. And so back then, our clients were pool companies, pizzerias, anybody who would let us build a website or, or do their social media for them. And we had this group of clients that grew through referrals that were medical practices. And what I noticed in 2008 was that no matter how uh, many people lost their jobs or were cutting their spending, they still went to the doctor when they were sick. And so medical, you know, kind of it became clear to me that the medical space was very recession resistant. Um, and I made the decision in 2010 that we were only going to work with medical practices from then forward. So that's been 11 years. Um, and you know, I think that's, that's been true this time too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, and as far as, you know, working that, that second job to, to make payroll, right. I think that just really just paints a, a very familiar picture for people who are doing startups and, the grind that's involved with it. it. It's not, you know, not everyone gets private equity. Not everyone gets, you know, uh, seed money or a series A or series B or, you know, anything for that matter. And a lot of it's bootstrapped and, and a lot of the, uh, you know, grittier ones are bootstrapped. Right. And, and obviously you are, you know, here now, um, you know, from 2004 to, to, to now, I mean, it's, 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 it's been a journey. I'm sure you've learned a lot of things, and I like how you focus down too, because I think once you start getting into business, you're just like you said, anyone who has a pulse who needs something done, I'm going to do it if it's remotely in my, you know, field of view. But when you really start to focus down on something and then you're like, huh, if I do this, this is a lot more, um, you know, I can, I can predict this is going to happen. It's a lot more, you know, predictability on, on the business standpoint and, it makes you subject matter experts on the topic and people find you or take you more seriously on that. end. so, um, 100%. yeah, especially now with COVID, right. Which, yeah. 
Yeah, and you know, Adam, there's there's a million marketing agencies, right? There are really only three or four other companies in my space, whereas we're much smaller by comparison. Those are you know, $10, $10 million, $100 million companies, some of them. Um, we're not at that level, but we're probably one of three that people know of that are in that space. If you kind of surveyed 10 doctor's offices and said, hey, you know, uh, or, or hospital department chairman, say, you know, who, who handles marketing campaigns for companies like you? They would probably name two monsters and me. And that's just yeah. because we did a good job of getting content out in front of them. It doesn't always convert to business, but it converts to recognition. And, and we're kind of experts in this space. And in the medical space, there's HIPAA, there's all kinds of specialized requirements that most marketing agencies don't understand. Um, right. And so, you know, if, if, if they don't understand it, then they either can't do the job right or they do it and they're putting their clients in jeopardy by not understanding the security protocols and things that go into the medical space. Yeah, absolutely. And there's even stuff past HIPAA, right? I think it's like SOC one, yeah. SOC two. And, and that, and that is like an investment in itself. It's like 20 grand. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah for sure. It's, it's definitely a lot. And, and I'm curious, you know, from 2004 to now, um, the challenges that you face then to now, obviously they've changed, but you know, what's been the constant challenge that you've seen happen that you've had to, you know, make a pivot time and time again, but it's always worked out. And what pivot was that? And kind of what were your thought process on that? Yeah. Um, probably two come to mind. The first is getting the balance of employees to clients, right? That was really mm-hmm. hard. And I had a bunch of false starts where over, you know, at this point, 15 plus years, there have been times where we've had, I've had 15 employees and I've had myself only. And then I've gone back to six employees and then back to two employees and up and down. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a twofold problem. Getting the balance right where you have people that are busy most of the time, but not so overworked that they're unhappy or rushing through their tasks hmm. is really important, right? You could say, okay, we got one employee, two employees. That means we can handle X number of clients per employee. But getting that balance right where people say, you know, the worst is an employee says, hey, uh, Joe, what should I work on this afternoon? I got nothing to do, right? Yeah. That can happen every now and then, but it can't happen a lot. And at the same time, you don't want to have a situation where you have clients saying, what's going on? You said this would be done two days ago. And you reach out and you say, hey, you know, employee number one, why isn't this done? Well, you had me working on this, this, and this. So it's, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's one set of challenges to be in it by yourself and kind of be everything to your company, scaling to have employees and then trusting those employees to interact with clients without you being involved. Those are are two of the biggest challenges, I think. It's taken me a long time. and, And I think finally, I've gotten it pretty close to right. Well, it's it's interesting you say that because a lot of people think that, oh, you just hire employees and like get it done. Right. And it takes a certain type of person to work in a startup, whether you're the owner or whether you're an employee, because you can't have, and this is an issue that, that I think what you were mentioning is you can't have a well-defined role in, in a, in a startup. Um, You just can't because that could change tomorrow. And you could be a, a marketing intern tomorrow or yesterday and then be a chief marketing officer two weeks from then because, you know, you just ended up scaling so fast and you're the only one that knows the process. And so for the time being, like, that's where you're at. You could be back down to marketing intern the next two weeks after this. But for right now, this is where you're at. 
and, yeah. and your roles change. That's right. You know, yeah. we, we just hired somebody. She's excellent. Uh, I think she's probably been here for two and a half months. So this was our first like during COVID hire where, um, and, and I intend to have everyone back in the office. We're doing the remote thing right now. It's only me, but we have a huge office and, and everyone's working from home. But I don't think that's the way of the future, at least not for my business. I think people need to collaborate, be together. So we're still hiring as if the office is open so that when it's safe to do so, everybody's back in the office. We're not doing the remote thing you know, permanently. Yeah. So this was our first hire where we did a Zoom interview and then we did a second interview in the parking lot <laughs> with, with like chairs and we were sitting like on the hoods of our cars like 10 feet apart, you know. That's awesome, that yeah. kind of crazy by itself. Um, but we did our first hire during COVID and one of the first things that we get out of the way now, and I learned this years ago, but it's especially true now, is being brutally honest about what it's like to be here and what employees should expect. And, yeah. you know, some people, especially not, not that this is always true, kind of a painting with a you know, broad stroke here, but I find it to be overwhelmingly true most of the time that people who have a lot of experience in corporate America um, and they have a very defined role, as you say, where this is what I do. And if it's outside of my job description, in the employee handbook, I either don't want to do it or I consider it like I'm doing the company a favor by doing this. There's nothing wrong with that mindset that works for a lot of people, but yeah. that doesn't work here. And so I'm very brutally honest about the fast paced nature and that not only do you have to be able to do it, but the people that do well here and have been here for years are the people that enjoy a fast paced environment and yeah. people who would get bored if they only had to do this set of duties day in and day out. Like you have to be very brutally honest about what it's like and, and just communicate that clearly. Not to say that this is chaos. We're very, I'm very regimented about sure. you know, job descriptions and, and what goes on. And I think that when, when you throw too many things at people at once, they, they become far less productive. It's true for me. Um, but, but we really are honest about what it's like. But it's sure. finding that balance. So like you were mentioning, it's like, you know, do like, like going back to having the employee to, uh, to client ratio, you got to find that the well-defined role to having something one off ratio to where it keeps them interested in that. And, and obviously compensation and benefits are huge too, especially with Amazon moving into every major city. Um, it's not, it's not financially, a smart move to go move in there. And especially if you're trying to scale up because one, you can't compete with the, with the prices that um, like Amazon's paying for, you know, talent and, you know, that's happening into Atlanta. It's happening in Texas. It's happening everywhere that, you know, there's some sort of tech hotspot. That's where it's happening. But I think once you do that, you're able to kind of, you know, hold back on the reins and be like, okay, now I have like a 30,000 foot view of my organization. And, and once you have the right people in place, it definitely helps. So I think, you know, going back to the topic of firing yourself from your company, meaning putting time back on your calendar so you can do more revenue generating activities or whatever it may be, um, depending upon where you want to go, right? Do you want this to be a lifestyle company or do you want this to be something where someone acquires it, right? right. Um, you know, it comes down to, I think, having a great talent pool to pull from and a consistent pipeline of people to pull from. Um, but, but I'm on I'm, I'm honestly just wanting to hear, you know, how you did it. How were you able to kind of take a step back, right. From, from, you know, the, all three people who are watching this right now, right. Like how, how are you able to take a step back and be like, okay, 
now I have time to do podcasts to kind of tell my story, to get this content in front of, you know, other doctors who, you know, may share the same story of five other clients that we just helped last week. Right. Yeah. Like that's, that's huge. Like how, how are you able to do that? So, I mean, the first step is kind of realizing, right. And I've, I've, I don't know who said this, but it's out there. I'm not the author of this line, but you become so busy working in your business that you can't work on your business. And mm-hmm. that is, it's so true. So, I mean, first you have to realize it, right? You have to look at your day. And one of the things I started doing a couple of years ago, Adam, and I, I still do it religiously, I have a book on my desk and everything I do, I write in that book. And that gives me the ability to look back and, you know, you're like, wow, oh my God, it's, it's July. What the hell did I do for the last three months? Like, I feel like I'm just running in place. And you can look back and you can see everything I worked on. And so then you start kind of putting that stuff in brackets and saying, okay, well, this, this, and this are things that somebody else could learn how to do. And that would free me up to do more creative things. Mm. Um, and, you know, f- I think the, the key besides understanding that that's a problem and, and deciding you're going to do something about it, that I had to get free or else we were never going to grow. If I didn't have the time to be thinking, you know, working on my business instead of in my business, we wouldn't have been able to pivot as quickly as we did with COVID we wouldn't have been able to set up all the broadcast stuff and all the things that we're doing for what I think is the post COVID world. You know, I said, I'm not going to come out of this doing okay. We're going to come out of COVID and explode. We're going to be better than we were before this. So if I was so busy fulfilling the obligations we have to our clients only, and I still do that, right. And I still make sure that there's accountability and I'm checking on things, making sure we're still doing a great job, but you have to realize it. Number one, number two, you have to put inside of the, imagine you have a set of parentheses, right? And everything that's inside the parentheses, you consider to be okay. That's okay. And everything that's outside the parentheses, you say, that's not okay. Well, you have to put the idea that if you're going to fire yourself and you're going to let employees or people on your team drive the boat, there are going to be clients who have things done wrong. There are going to be mistakes. The occasional client might leave. And if you have that stuff outside of the parentheses, then you would pull the red handle and you would say, this isn't working. I'm going to take over. I'm going to do everything myself. And you'd have, you know, as I've had a couple false starts in doing that. Whereas if you take a a more 30,000 foot view, as you said, and you say, okay, in order for us to grow beyond where we are now and become a $50 million company, like some in my space are, we have to do this. And so if there are a couple of, things that get done wrong or clients that are displeased or whatever. Of course, we want to fix that and do a great job and we want to be aware of it on top of it. But that has to be inside the parentheses of what we know is likely to happen going into this, right? And you can you can address it and you can make corrections and you can fix why that happened, but you can't pull the red handle or else you'll be right back where you started and you'll never, you'll never get there. Dude, that's, that's awesome. So, and I think the parentheses, I think, you know, maybe another way of putting that would be like a mistake thermometer, right? Yeah. And, sure. and, and being like, okay, well, and, and I think maybe a way to, to do this is um, to, I guess, identify, prepare, correct, but never pull the red handle. Dude, there's your book, right? <laughs> there's your Amazon bestseller right there. Um, but you like, uh-huh. I said, I don't know about a bestseller, but I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Like that, yeah, you can't pull the red handle. And 
Um, I, I like that. And, and I think that's a really good way. And, and if I like, I really like the idea of keeping a journal. I mean, I keep a journal too, but um, you know, it's definitely not everything that I do throughout the day. And that is huge. And then obviously see what those, those patterns are. And, and you know, it's, it's super helpful. I've been doing that. That was, you know, I didn't realize it at the time. I thought that I was just keeping a list of what I did so I could understand where my time is going. But what actually happened was that as we then, as I delegated those things to other people, that book became the training guide, right? It wasn't, okay, we hired somebody. They're going to start taking over stuff. What should I have them do? What should I train them on? We went back to the book and it was like, okay, all the things in green are client fulfillment things. We're going to put those into buckets, social media, pay-per-click, keeping in touch with clients, update, all the silos. And that became like the blueprint of how we train people. Dude, that's that's so so basically your journal became defined job roles for people. That's right. 100%. Yeah. And then that helped you create buckets in order to kind of say, hey, we need to have this specific person do this, but can also do this, right? And that yeah. kind of goes back. So it all ties back into just talent, the war on talent and um and and also just identifying what things can be delegated to a degree. Because you can't just you can't just let up. You know, you can't let them. I mean, we can't all have Teslas, right? No. We can't all have, have a self-driving vehicle. I mean, right. you got to keep, even on a Tesla, you got to keep one hand on the wheel sometimes. But, um, but yeah. So we is, you know, we, we made a, a database system where every, so now we have eight full-time employees that are handling client fulfillment stuff. And we made a database of every client and every touch point. So as employee number one reaches out to client number seven, they put in that spreadsheet the date that they last touched that person. And then we get an alert. So if it's been more than 14 days since the person who's in charge of that relationship spoke to them, then they get a prompt to reach out. And that was something we learned because as I kind of stepped back, then clients started feeling not neglected, but as though that constant communication was was missing because I'm, yeah. I have the most to lose, right? So I was always, every couple of weeks, Hey, we made this change. Hey, we're working on this. Hey, this worked great. I was very religious about staying in contact every five days, 10 days, eight days with every client. And so yeah. as I sat back, we realized early on like that was getting missed. And so now, as I said, if 14 days go by and you haven't touched that client in some way, you get a notification that you have to do it. Um, yeah, that's, that's huge because I feel like that's a worry of mine too. Like I'm very... Um, I, I partner with a number of different agencies with, with our software and the, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily, uh, you know, control that client. We, we basically, we do the, the lead fulfillment for them at the end of the day. We don't create the ads. We don't do anything like that. We just have our software. Our software does its job, but my name is on that client now too. So recently I had a new agency who came on board and he's like, Hey, I want to partner with you guys. So on and so forth. And he ended up going off on vacation and he ended up leaving. And the client, it was like two weeks had gone by. They got billed a week prior. And he's like, and they're like, dude, no one's called us. So they they somehow found my email, reached out to me, like, you know, 911 essentially. And so I called them immediately and I was like, look, you know, I I, I don't handle this these things, but this is like the top priority. And I feel like that level of customer support should be like a prime foundational thing that has to be there because to your point, 
that's a very personal thing for a startup is losing a client, especially if it's something that could have been, um, you know, it, it, you can hold yourself accountable for. Like I would hold myself accountable for, you know, losing that client, even though I'm not the one who's, who's fulfilling that just because that's just how I, I take pride in things. And I feel a lot of people who have really good startups or really good companies also feel the same way. So um, like, what would, what would you say are your top buckets that you hire for, for, you know, I guess um, delegating those, those topics out, like what, what topics would, or, you know, where I'm getting at, what buckets would you delegate out? In other words, what are the, the, the duties that we hire people for or? Well, no. So, so basically customer support, I, that would be probably one of the biggest things that I would put in my company is like a, an abundance of that, right? Like that would be one bucket that I would make sure like on my mistake thermometer, as we call it, like it's very fluid, right? Or not even fluid. It's very like, it doesn't go up and down. It's just very flat. Mm-hmm. And, and and they can expect a certain amount, at least on the very bare minimum, but it's still going to be better than most. Like that would be like one thing I would delegate out to. A second would probably be billing, right? Like that would be another one. But like, what are some things that you delegate out? Sure. So we have a couple silos, we'll call them, right? One of them is administrative. Under administrative, we have a wonderful person. Her name is Tara. She does QuickBooks, uh, invoicing clients, handles collections when we have to go to, you know, take clients to collections, Um, handles all the financial aspects of the company. And not only is that great to have off my plate, but just like everything else we're talking about, if I'm so busy inside of it, if I was the one sending reminders about delinquent invoices and reconciling the banks and stuff like that, then I wouldn't have the 30,000 foot view. I would have the one foot view. And so having someone do that not only takes off my plate, but it lets me get reports from her that show me kind of the financial health of the company. And I can compare that with the person we have running sales. And we have, you know, that's kind of our second bucket is people who work in sales. Um, And we have dashboards and analytics from our CRM that give us like projections about pipeline, you know, closing and, and future dollars and things like that. And I can actually overlay that over our today numbers. And so that's really helpful to have people working in the administrative side. One of those components is billing and accounting, have people in the sales silo. That's the other big silo. And the third silo is kind of what we call uh, client fulfillment, right? Doing the work that the clients hire us to do. Yeah. Okay. Dude, that's awesome. I mean, I, I think, I think anyone who watches this is going to learn a lot, um, especially with, with like the, cause obviously you, what, what's that commercial? I think it's state farm. He's like, uh, he says, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two, yeah, yeah, right? Farmers. Like, yeah, yeah, farmers. Right. So I feel like this is kind of, you know, if you want to forecast what it's like to, to, to get to two employees to 15 employees back to two employees like this right here should be your blueprint. Um, is silos, war on talent, identify, prepare, and correct, never pull the red handle. I think these are all, and also the journal, that's huge, right? Because that could turn into a number of different things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm like, one thing I'll just say kind of uh, that, that I think is, is so huge. When I started doing this in 2004, there were no podcasts, there were no there was not this this community and this content out there for people. So you you maybe you could read a book or something uh, for sure, you know. But like a lot of those things weren't really relevant to startups. And and you look at something like read this book about startups, and you're like, 
look at the copyright. It was like friggin' 1991. You know, yeah. it's like before, before the from 200 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I, I only think that, cause as I said, I'm not really, you know, I didn't have a lot of formal education. I just started doing this and learned from my mistakes. But today there's so much content out there like this. And that's why I'm passionate about podcasts and things because I watch podcasts two a day. Every morning, I'm in the basement of my house. I'm working out in the morning, and I watch like an Ed Milet podcast or a podcast who I love or sure. you know, a whole bunch of different guys that I follow. And like, that's where you get this from. And you know, we connected on the phone yesterday. There aren't, for most entrepreneurs, especially ones who are starting out, you don't have your traditional friends that you talk to about other stuff. They don't get this. They don't understand it. They can't lend you any expertise or help. So you have to get out there and learn from people who are doing this, just like I am every day. And I'm sure you yeah, do. Yeah, they too. don't care about turn rate. They don't care about turn percentage. <laughs> like, no, no. It's like, you know, hey, yeah. where do you guys want to go for drinks tonight? I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of stuck on, hey, what would you guys do? I have these silos, right? So yeah. They, they can care about it. online and use these resources for people who have walked before you. Um, that's, that's where I've learned everything that's helped me. For sure. Awesome. Well, Joe, I, again, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. This has been, this has been awesome. Um, I can't wait to have you on again, again, for anyone who wants to reach out to Joe and, and see his company, it's unleashmarketing.com. And yeah, we appreciate you having on, on, on the show, man. Awesome. Thank you, Adam. It was awesome to be here. You've been listening to the No Decaf Podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your favorite podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.